This week, I chat with award-winning director Ron Howard. I learned a lot about it while making the movie, just like I didn't know how to go to the moon before we did Apollo 13. In a supplementary interview to my sit-down with his longtime creative partner, Brian Grazer. Brian and I are kind of kind of like the odd couple. Howard fondly remembers a Mel Gibson hint. And he said, I'm going to give you an Academy Award in a couple of nights. I said, how do you know that? He said, oh, I know it. Nearly becoming an Andy Warhol painting. I just, it's still, still a little tipsy, you know. And the time he lied about punching John Belushi. Now what the hell am I supposed to do now? I took a swing at him. Plus, Howard discusses the ups and downs of running Imagine Entertainment. Had to lay um, people off, I think. Oh yeah, well we had to get smaller before we could start getting bigger again. That and more right here on the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. I wanted to start off actually by taking you to a certain moment and get you to recall uh, what you remember from this experience. Uh, Brian and uh, Princess Diana for the, the Apollo 13 uh, premiere. Yes, yes, I remember it, remember it really well. Uh, and uh, um, in fact, I had a kind of a, kind of a faux pas at one point. I sort of like picked up the wrong fork or her bread, or I did something like really clumsy uh, <laughs> that sort of blew the etiquette, you know. And she, she of course pretended she didn't notice and somebody slipped in and, and uh, co corrected whatever it was. I can't remember if I drank her water or I, I don't know. <laughs> it was, it was uh, def definitely one of those moments. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, that, that was a, a, gr a, a great night. Uh, and, uh, um, and, and she was, you know, pretty open about her, her sort of, marital disappointments and frustrations and, and oh really it was yeah she was pretty pretty forthcoming about that and and uh i mean not in an unladylike uh gossipy way it, it wasn't dishing with the hollywood celebs you could just see it i guess maybe because i'm a i'm a i'm a director and i think brian could really sense it as well um, and from what i understand as it pertains to brian he pretty much ignored all protocol with regards to interacting with her? Oh yeah, I mean, and she, but she also invited that. I mean, so uh, the, the, the minute we were, we were sitting down and, and, and eating or even before when we were just milling around after the movie, she was uh, totally relaxed talking to, uh, uh, to Rita Wilson. I, I, I'd, I'd been with her one other time. In fact, it was for far and away uh, and, and, the only interesting thing was that Nicole Kidman uh, and Princess Diana were, were photographed together and they're tall, they're both tall. And I could see them each stretching out just a little bit uh, to, to, to see who is, who is the tallest in this photo. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, Princess Diana and uh, Brian was totally himself, totally relaxed. But again, she, she, uh, she invited that. And it was, uh, you know, it was, it was really memorable. But I, I did feel like that that um, that Brian, um, kind of you know, intuitive as he is, really plugged in to her sort of loneliness. Really, and I, yeah, I felt like he was doing, uh, you know, he it was, uh, he, you know, he, he didn't need anything from Princess Diana, you know, there was just it was, uh, but she was uh, um, with Tom Hanks, with Rita, um, and just uh, I thought. 
you know, trying to make, make the party fun for her. Right. You know, I just, I just think he was, he was, uh, um, what, just, what, just, what do you think he yeah. said or did that uh, makes you feel like he plugged into that? Uh, you know, he was relaxed. He was attentive. He was, he was, uh, uh, drawing her out, uh, and, uh, and, 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 you know, enjoying what she had to say in, in, in ways that were just, that were, uh, that were, you know, they were relaxing and they were really uh, very inclusive. Uh, how about Jay-Z and American Gangster? Um, well, I wasn't around Jay-Z and American Gangster very much, but, uh, but Brian was so excited uh, about that, correctly so. And some years later, it actually led to me getting to direct my first documentary because uh, Jay-Z was talking to Brian about uh, this festival music festival that he was curating uh, made in America. And, uh, and, and he talked about, you know, doing a behind the scenes film and, uh, uh, and Brian said, well, you know, Ron's been thinking about, about trying to do a documentary. Um, and, uh, so apparently that got the nod. Brian called me up and said, is this something you'd ever want to do? And I was really relieved. I, I talked myself into it. I took, took the leap. I was kind of terrified of the whole thing. Why? Uh, well, because I hadn't done a documentary yet. And, and, uh, and the whole idea of, uh, of, of, of stepping over that line into a medium uh, this, at that point in my life, which was what, six, seven years ago, uh, was, uh, you know, it was just a little bit intimidating. But the, there, was, there was like no time to decide, which was probably the, the good news. And, uh, and Brian was really supportive of the idea. And uh, but so that, that came through the the the, the Brian Jay Z Association, uh, which of course went back to American Gangster. Brian was really heroic. There have been a few times in, in his career that I've witnessed where, as a producer, he really just you know powered a project through and just excelled. Um, you know, one of them was, was, was certainly Splash going way back. Um, and, uh, and there were others like Eight Mile um, uh, and Beautiful Mind to, to a large extent. And American Gangster, that, that, that project was dead and buried a few times. And he just kept bringing it back. He was so interested in Frank Lucas's story and eventually it as a vehicle for Denzel Washington. And um, you know, he really made that made that movie happen. Made the, he really made that movie happen. You know, including uh, going as deep as getting Jay Z to work on the soundtrack. Well, and I wanted to ask you about that too. And uh, you know, Splash I think took seven years, if if I remember correctly. But uh, Brian's uh, sales skills and just the kind of ability to to use your words, power something through. Um, I, how, how would you best describe his sales ability and this almost inability to hear the word no? Well, it's here's here's the thing about Brian as a producer, and you can you can you can say uh, use the term salesman, but that is uh, com, you know completely under uh, expresses um, and underestimates kind of what it the way what he does to make a project come to life. Um, it's, he has, this is kind of a, the, to me, a superpower of his is that 
he is creative enough to not only interact with fellow creatives, but also really empathize and understand, you know, sort of what they need to hear, what they need to feel, what they need to believe uh, in order to engage with a project and say yes, or take the project further creatively or whatever it is that Brian, you know, would, 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 uh, you know, would like them to do on behalf of the project. But it's the same kind of understanding and, um, and, and, and um, uh, sort of depth of appreciation for the challenge they face, call it empathy again, for like, you know, uh, agents, um, studio executives, um, middle management development execs who are sort of gatekeepers, the mm -hmm. initial gatekeepers, um, and, um, and, you know, other actors, directors. And, um, and his ability to, to shift from one conversation to the other, all in a very honest way, not, not, a, not a sort of full of crap hustling way, but he knows how to sort of find those, um, find those uh, bridges to um, collaboration and, and to a, a real excitement from, for saying yes and not saying no. Um, but he's pretty, but he's tireless and, um, he, he doesn't believe that all no's can be reversed. Really? He, no, he's okay. very, he has very good antenna for, you know, where there's a real no, no, it's absolute dead end. And he's pretty good about cutting the cord and not pursuing that anymore. He's good about, you know, he's not chasing windmills. Uh, he's, um, um, but when he hear, he can hear a certain kind of a no and he, he just doesn't, he just, he, he, that's just not the way he hears it. He, he hears it as a, if circumstances were different, if, if something else fell in line, um, if my, if I thought my boss liked it, if I had a, if I just understood it better, if I, you know, so, um, so he's, that's where he really is tireless is when he, he senses that. And um, and he and he can work really brilliantly, intuitively, and just intelligently, at um, you know at, at digging deeper and seeing if there is a path. To to what extent is there a situation that comes to mind that he had to move mountains to make something happen? And do you remember specifically what that entailed? Well, Splash. I mean, our our we had a great friendship, and 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 it was a breakthrough project for us, Night Shift. Brian's idea, uh, I, Gans and Mandel, the writers, were my relationship. It was really us coming together and being a team for the for the first time, and it was a blast. And it and was we, attractive to you too, because it was something completely different than the type of project that you were. Oh used yes, to. It, yep. it was. It, it, it was. Uh, it was edgy. It was R-rated. It was funny in a contemporary way, um, and. Uh, uh, yet it had heart, and uh, and and I, uh, you know, I I was I was very excited to get to to do it, and 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 fantastic to be teaming up with a guy, you know, more or less my age, uh, who had a lot at stake, and we really bonded. We really bonded over that. But the one that I thought really made us partners, um, and and sort of demanded a kind of longer working relationship was the gauntlet of splash 
because uh, that's a project that Brian had had for a long time. The script was was never never right. Uh, after night shift, he asked Gans and Mandel to have a look at it. He asked me to have a look at it. I could sort of see some value in it, but I wasn't I wasn't overwhelmed with excitement uh, of, about doing a mermaid movie. Um, and uh, to me, it was almost like a, a sort of a 40s, 50s uh, uh, comedy fantasy trope in a way. It had been tried a number of times. I never felt any of those movies were really great. Uh, and, um, and, and so I didn't quite see it. But Gans and Mandel did. Brian did. And, and I was happy to work on, on developing it. Um, but I didn't love it. And then there was this, slowly but surely, the script kept getting better and better and better. And, but there was a competing project called Mermaid. And um, that a big we studio were being turned was down, yeah. we learned that the real problem was, we were given a lot of excuses. Oh, it's too many tones. Uh, who's going to star in it? Uh, probably, here's a fairly new director, even though Night Shift was well-regarded. Um, but the big problem was that Oscar director Herbert Ross, uh, uh, Oscar producer Ray Stark, um, you know, a major movie star, Oscar winner Warren Beatty, Jessica Lange, they were doing this movie called Mermaid. Jessica Lange was going to play Mermaid. This is at the you know height of her powers and beauty, and um, no one wanted to compete with that. No one wanted to compete with that. And I was ready to just let it go. And I was talking about taking on another project, an indie that was in fact, we were really struggling to get the money together, but it was a passion project as well. And uh, I, I, remember, I remember being sick with the flu. To this day, Brian thinks I was lying. I was not <laughs> lying. I was sick with the flu. I had a fever, but he kept calling the house and getting Cheryl and trying to get me on the phone. And I was, and I knew he wanted to talk about Splash, which to me was just sort of dead as a, you know, dead as a doornail. And 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 I, and I uh, finally got on the phone, and he said, "We have to take it to Disney." And I said, "I said, Brian, you know what Disney's most recent movie was that was put, you know, theatrically released?" He said, "What?" And I said, "Gus, the field gold kicking mule." That's that's the last movie that <laughs> Disney. Before that, it was it was Love Bug Six. <laughs> why, why would we follow Night Shift and and you know and and make the movie at Splash? And he says, Well, I've been talking to them over there, and they really want to compete. You know, they know they're the 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 that they're the, a studio that's 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 you know it's bottom of the rung, but I think they really need us and blah blah blah. And so. He, he finally convinced me to at least go in and have a meeting. And I went in and had a meeting and, um, and, and I was, you know, we were a part of it and they were genuinely interested. And, uh, and then I said to Brian, um, you know, they're, they're going to want me to put a bikini top bathing suit or something on the mermaid. This is Disney. And I'll, you know, I just did night shift. I'm coming from happy days. This would be, that'd be the corniest thing in the world. It's wrong for this movie. You know, she's an organic creature. 
of of the sea. She's it's she's you know the epitome of of of, of nature at its most natural. No, can't do it. And he said, look, the budget numbers right. They really love it. If I can get if I can get confirmation for you, will you accept that? And I said, if you can really get confirmation that you know that 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 she can be topless, I'll cut. I said, I remember saying. We'll never see her breasts. I can I can make sure the hair covers it and so forth. We just can't can't have a bathing suit top on her. It's really a non-starter for me. Well, he went in and he wound up having to have a meeting with the the, the board, the board of directors of Disney, <laughs> and he sold them on my vision and and his of of you know why disney had to make this movie this way well they said they said yes to it with this other reservation what about this warren Beatty movie and brian and i sat there a couple of young guys and i just said i said look if you guys really want to make it and you're willing to make it you know as i'm asking you to um it's probably going to be PG, not G. Um, and and uh, but if the answer to all those things is yes, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm 27 years old, and there's no way Herb Ross and Warren Beatty, and Jessica Lange and Ray Stark can beat our movie to the movie theaters. If you say yes, I will live here. I'll do whatever it takes. Brian picked that up. And started really running with it, and within days we we had our green light. It wasn't cast dependent, wasn't anything. But here's the really badass next step: legendary kingpin of producers and studio and the studio system, Ray Stark, then called up Brian Grazer, and said, "We have competing projects. Why don't you join mine, and I'll pay you a million dollars." And you can co-produce mine, or with, you know, with me. Come in, be my partner. And Brian, I never even knew about it till later. Brian turned down Ray Stark to make Splash uh, at Disney. So it, we then it was a absolute its own kind of you know fairy tale. It was a real Cinderella success. It was a top ten movie that year. We got great reviews. The screenplay was nominated for an Academy Award. Um, and uh, and it was a, a tremendous feat by a producer, and um, uh, and and uh, and it was a great idea for a project, and that was Brian's as well. So you know, it, it to me, we we went from being great pals who had loved working together to you know this real friends uh, and partners forged in the this sort of the the gauntlet of this duel against this you know, mega A-list production. And we, we helped, you know, lift this, this, uh, this studio. It became the, uh, uh, the first touchstone film because they were afraid to put PG, a PG movie out on the Disney label. And they actually chose to invent this label. So it's sort of a turning point uh, for the studio in, in that, at that time. Even unrelated to this specific project, I mean, uh, around this time, you know, you're a known entity, you're a star. Uh, Brian's a largely unproven uh, yeah. talent. What made you decide to start consistently working with him? 
Well, because we were getting things done and I had, I had a uh, high profile and uh, you know, kind of good, uh, a good reputation, but you know, being a, a, a well-liked uh, actor from the, from the TV world, especially one who's kind of graduated from being a child actor to, through to a teen, that's no insurance policy for the future. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's no calling card to, um, you know, to become a, a, a you know, a, a, a mainstream studio Hollywood filmmaker. And so I'd been directing television movies. I directed a movie for Roger Corman. I loved it. I was showing promise. I was getting offered some projects, but they were very poor, weak ideas, terrible. And nothing that I, even then, with all my enthusiasm to direct, nothing that I, I, I really felt like uh, that I could put my best foot forward with. And Brian came along with a real idea, an idea of his own and, 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 uh, and, and the ability to open doors and get us meetings that I wasn't otherwise getting and get real consideration. And it, and it led to night shift and then, and then, you know, directly behind that, uh, splash. And so, um, by the time we got through splash, I don't think either of us felt like rookies anymore. And the business didn't treat us that way. I think by then we were the, we were the comers. It, we, were the, it, we were the, 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 the next wave. And was there a point where you like consciously or subconsciously realized like, this is my guy. This is my partner. Uh, no, not. I mean, not really. Okay. Uh, except, except the friendship was, you know, was deep and significant, and that was, you know, again, uh, built on these two great, these two great uh, experiences. Uh, but we had talked a lot about what it was to be an independent. He had an independent company. I had an independent company. I was producing projects, TV movies, and some other movies that I wasn't even directing, and TV pilot things like that. Um, but it was really exhausting. We were just all, both of us were just driving all over town every day that we weren't, you know, shooting or in script meetings or something. We were, we were in this kind of scramble trying to service all of these development deals. So the industry was welcoming, but it did mean there was this kind of overload that was incredibly inefficient. And we, we both, we kind of started talking about almost merging our companies or doing something together, even back on Splash. But it was a couple of years later that Brian came in with a plan um, that, you know, to, to, to be a public company and, and launch something, uh, not, not just by pooling projects, but by actually raising some, raising some money and, and redefining our, uh, our place in the, in the, in the business. And uh, it was a, you know, it was, a, it was a gutsy, but exciting idea. And it took me very little time to say yes. Um, and Cheryl and I talked about it and uh, it seemed like, uh, you know, a, the, the right move. In between that time, I had directed um, Cocoon um, and Gung Ho, and I was just starting Willow, but he had done Real Genius, he'd done Spies Like Us, um, like father, like son, he was getting movies made, but we just felt that, uh, you know, one plus one could be three, could be three. Uh, and, uh, um, and that was the, that was the premise. What do you think the two of you learned from the experience of taking Imagine public then private again, that ultimately impacted future decisions the two of you have made running the company? 
I think we learned how to be a company, what that meant, how to, how to sell ourselves as a team and our, and our executives working with us as a company. But I think we also recognize that without, without the right business model for us and for the way that we could work most effectively in, in, this, in this industry, um, that, that, that we, could, we could be denied the fruits of even our, our, our biggest successes. Um, and so that essentially our kind of company was not built to um, service uh, uh, growth through quarterly earnings. It was, it was all about, you know, being all in on projects, working hard, some of them succeeding and benefiting from that, some of them not succeeding, but being able to recover from that. And um, it just became very clear to us that the way to make our company work would have been to stop focusing in a kind of a micro level on the projects and start focusing on things like mergers and acquisitions. Uh, you know, I mean, we were told a number of times you need to make, you need to buy, you should, you guys should think about acquiring radio stations. And we looked at each other and said, well, our dream isn't to be a radio station owner. Our dream is to, you know, make as many great films and TV shows as we can. And we just were in lock, in lockstep there. And, um, and, and we then recognized that if we didn't want to do that, then a public vehicle was not where our growth could be. Um, but, but so it was, you know, another big risk was to take the company private. We, it cost us per, personally a lot of money. We, we, we basically took on, a, a, you know, absorb, had to absorb uh, some real risk going, going forward. Had to lay um, people off, I think. Oh yeah, well we had to get smaller before we could start mm -hmm. getting bigger again. Yep. Yes, we, we 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 had to do that, um, um, and and uh, and that that sounds difficult, but the fact is the other the the that that was a foregone conclusion, because the other model wasn't working, mm -hmm. and, um, and, uh, and 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 uh, and then also, um, I think it was a, it was at the eighty seven or eighty eight stock crash. Uh, had had hurt us as a as a kind of a startup, so you know we were dinged in a couple of ways there that were problematic. But the, the, when we did take it private, and we did we did gulp and make that that leap, carrying the credibility of having been a company with assets and and deals that were shaped uh, under the premise that we were actually bringing money to the table. The, the amazing thing was that even when we were no longer bringing money to the table, those deals uh, stayed in place. And so as a private company, we made up for lost time in a, in a really, um, in a really uh, uh, dynamic way. And, uh, um, and, and, and that's, that's when, you know, Imagine started to be what we were dreaming of going back to splash. And, uh, um, and in, in recent years, it went through another, another transformation, um, absorbing yet again some personal risk uh, to uh, to take Imagine into this new direction, and it it's been incredibly exciting. It, it, and we're still in the middle of it, um, and uh, so you know we don't uh, we don't have the, you know we don't we don't we don't have the third act. We don't know what the you know what the what the outcome is, uh, but it's looking really good and once again creatively it's 
exciting. And I think Brian's always been fueled by the kinds of personal creative experiences he could have, um, experiences in life as well. You know, like where do the where do the movies and TV shows lead him? And then he's also got his own, um, you know, intellectual pursuits. Uh, uh, his you know those curiosity conversations. Those are very real. It's not something he cooked up so he could write a book about it. That's something that I saw him doing when no one wanted to really talk to him. Uh, and uh, so that's a that's a that's a very very real um, um, aspect of 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 his uh, of his life that he finally decided to to share with people and write about. I, if I could just take you back momentarily to oh, sure. uh, what you had mentioned about the current transition in company, because uh, Bob Iger was very complimentary of kind of the, the path you guys are, are taking right now. But, um, you know, with the industry continuing to evolve, uh, you know, no longer having kind of the first look uh, deal with Universal, how about the biggest challenge that's been involved for the two of you in transitioning to a standalone company? Well, the biggest challenge, I, I mean, I, it, it, it's, uh, for, you know, for, for, fortunately we're, we're, you know, we have, we have bank accounts, but uh, uh, we once again really limited, uh, you know, uh, our, our, our earnings. We're deferring that and betting on the future. And, uh, um, and so that's really the, that's really the toughest thing. Why uh, like consciously make that decision to, Oh, Go that route. Um, well, once again, the the system that was in place uh, was 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 no longer really fueling our ambitions, our creative ambitions, our personal ambitions. It was limiting. Um, and at a time when we not only want to keep working, we have energy, but we are we are more interested than ever in a in a wider, more diverse. Um, set of stories and collaborators. We're also much more interested in in, uh, in 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 mentoring and and leading, in addition to still working, and um, and that's the sort of the opposite of of um, what we saw as the you know the sort of the the range of possibilities for us in the old in the old structure, which is you know just changing and continuing to change. Um, it, it was, it's kind of antiquated. They, they just didn't need the volume. And, uh, and they were so specific about it. It was 180 degrees from what we wanted to do, which is apply what we've learned, build on the set of relationships that we have, and, and let's explore these mediums further. It's all shifting. Suddenly short form, uh, event series, uh, movies, absolutely. Television, sure. But there's this other kind of TV, which is uh, streamer television and much more specific and talent driven and, and, and with a, with around, built around personalities. All this stuff, branded content that's actually stimulating to, to, to work on. Documentaries, all these things, these are all areas that we would get into when we were still in our studio deals and network deals. And they would they would like service cease and desist letters. I mean, it's like they didn't want us working on these other things. That's not what they were paying us or paying our overhead to do. And so we were uh, always chafing a little bit. And suddenly, that in fact is our business plan. And uh, and and we we have resources to to do it in a in a really exciting way. And we are 
um, I think we're flourishing. You ask, what are, what are the difficulties? Um, making some selections, uh, you know, uh, uh, adjusting uh, personnel, you know, to make sure that we have the, you know, the right chemistry to, to that we're growing in the right way uh, with the right with the right people. Um, you know, sure, those are challenges, but uh, but uh, essentially, it's been liberating, really, really creatively liberating. He has said before the two of you work so well together because neither of you tell one another what to do. Uh, if you don't mind, elaborate on that. Uh, we have we've always had a, a, a sort of a, a, a relationship partnership principle which um, never written down, but here's how I would articulate it. I, I would say that we talk to each other a lot. We ask each other's opinion, really covet it. Um, when we, and we want honest answers and we give honest answers. But if our honest answer is not is no, or we don't, I don't love that project. And, 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 and the other one says, boy, I really do love it. Then, you know, there's never a question. We're all in for, for each other and for the, and for those projects, because I don't think either of us wants to limit the other. And we also, I don't think, I think, I think we have enough humility to know we could be really be wrong. But my very favorite, um, my very favorite outcome of those discussions is when we really pull together and sort of say, you know, here's we're 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 uh, we're we're in total alignment on this and let's do it together, which has become harder and harder to make happen because there is just so much activity going on at the company. Uh, and, you know, it's 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 uh, it's 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 harder for, you know, it's harder for Brian to sort of focus in and and really put everything aside. And uh, you know, and 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 be myopic about about a project. Uh, and it's also I'm I'm have this kind of appetite to keep sort of knowing what my next directing project is going to be. And I love pitching in, I love participating, and and I enjoy producing kind of on that level. But I very rarely stop and put everything aside, um, and uh, you know, and just and just do you know one thing for the company. So. It's uh, uh, that's kind of a long answer, but uh, yeah. uh, Bob Iger had said, and I, I thought this was interesting. Um, he told me he views the world differently than Brian. And why I thought that was interesting was because in preparing for the taping with Brian, uh, you were once quoted as saying uh, he views, or I'm sorry, we view the world differently, but we arrive mm -hmm. at the same conclusions. Um, how so? Um, you know, uh, it's. It, we're Brian and I are kind of kind of like the odd couple, you know. I mean, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm methodical. I'm uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm sort of I look at things in a really granular way. When I get excited about an idea, I'm usually excited about some other different some other aspect of it. Brian might have some sort of overview or some sort of uh, um, sort of intuitive sense of uh, of a, of an idea's value based on its. Um, its currency based on its, uh, 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 you know, like its sexual heat. I don't mean that in a, in a, in, a, in an uncomfortable way. Uh, uh, but, but that's sort of that thing that makes it really attractive. 
um, to 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 people on a kind of chemical level. Whereas you know I'm I generally focus on certain kinds of thematics and characters and and what's motivating them and what's the cause and effect of the way they're being tested by a particular circumstance within the narrative. Um, and uh, and 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 of course I'm always always thinking through character because I began my my career as a as as an actor. In terms of terms of life, you know, Brian's Brian's an extrovert. He wants to be around people. He wants to be meeting new people. He he is uh, you know forever curious about you know um, what kind of conversation, what kind of situation he might find himself in, and he and he's really w willing to put a lot of energy into that. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm an, I'm not, I'm an introvert. I'm, 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 uh, comfortable around people when I need to be, but I'm, I'm, it's not, you know, I'm not, I'm not out there seeking those kinds of, uh, those kinds of interactions. Um, and, uh, so for me, movies and TV shows kind of push me out into the world. I wind up experiencing people, circumstances and sort of life adventures that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be inclined to pursue uh, on my own. Um, Brian doesn't depend on work for that. Um, it, it, he prefers, in fact, to 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 go out, you know, you know, on his own, or or with Veronica, or and 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 um, and sort of um, find these experiences. And uh, so he doesn't depend on work. For it the way, the way I do. So um, he he said the relationship with you is the longest relationship he's ever had, and uh, he laughingly is like it's longer, certainly longer than my marriages. Um, so here, <laughs> here's one for you. Um, what do you think he's like as a partner in marriage? <laughs> I think Brian is a restless guy. Um, he is, uh, you know, that that relentless curiosity. Um, I you know I think it it. It's both. It's got to be both incredibly stimulating, and and fun, and and a little exhausting, because he's he's also, um, you know, he's 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 very um, he's very exacting about things, and, and he wants to be, you know, he wants to control his environment as much as he can, and then he, and then he then he recognizes that there are moments where he's kind of on an adventure in an experience where he just can't, but. But when he can control something, uh, you know, he really, he really will. So I, I you know, I, uh, I, I feel like it's you, you know, I think Brian and Veronica are are a really, really good uh, couple, and I'm very, I'm very happy for them both because I think they're very compatible. I think they're very, very compatible in just sort of the way they approach um, the world, work. Um, society and uh, you know and 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 uh, life's possibilities for them. And she's able to put up with them. Absolutely. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I can. Um, you know, I, I know it's good because I see, um, I see Brian, r really, happier and and growing in in another in a, in in new kinds of ways, uh, than I've. Uh, than I've maybe ever seen him, and uh, which is a, a, a great thing. Uh, at at uh, you know at this point in in uh, in his life to be continuing to evolve and and grow and and I think uh, 
and absorb what he's learning and, uh, and, and make changes. As a, another thing that I would say about Brian, I've often said it about it, my wife, Cheryl and Brian actually have quite a bit in common in various ways. One of them is they both can really change. You know, when, when Brian learns a lesson, when he gets an idea, he has tremendous discipline. Um, he's one of these guys, like if, 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 he, if he needs physiotherapy, he doesn't complain about it. He just does it because he's sure that that's right. He might complain about lots of other chores in the business that he wishes he didn't have to do because he feels like he's wasting his time. But, but when he decides, there's sort of, there's sort of no, no measure of, of, uh, of uh, effort that's, that's too much to achieve the thing that, that he, you know, sort of at his core believes he needs to do. How do you think his son Riley played into his interest in a beautiful mind? Um, yeah, what Brian, um, as a parent, is very, very dedicated guy, and he's uh, um, and 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 he's always um, turning those kind of curiosity opportunities, those kind of conversations, into. Um, um, learning opportunities where that can benefit his kids. Um, and the first time I really witnessed it was with Riley. And Brian became really, really obsessed with understanding how the brain works. Now, Brian, you know, he struggles with dyslexia. It, reading is not necessarily the way he absorbs best. You know, he's, it's, he's not that kind of student. Um, so his way of tackling it was to have conversation after conversation um, and then follow up with some of the reading and studying, but to try to understand, um, you know, how he could best support and help Riley. But in the meantime, he was also just learning a lot about himself uh, and the brain and the way it works. And that led to um, sort of a shared interest on both our parts to try to find uh, a story that that dealt with mental illness. And we developed two other projects, which were, you know, perfectly viable, but they just, they just didn't work. They fell apart. Uh, and finally there was Beautiful Mind. And that movie is a result really of um, that, um, that, that, that channel of insight that, that uh, was, uh, was open for Brian through trying to understand his son better and how, how best to help Riley. He called that the most gratifying film he's ever made. Um, your reaction to that? Uh, yeah, way, way, very high on my list, if not, if not the highest. Apollo 13 holds a very special place for me because it was kind of a life's adventure. Um, but um, Beautiful Mind was very gratifying, um, and and it's had um, uh, a, a kind of a long tail of satisfaction in that people continually come up to me. Um, you know, that movie came out, you know, what, 18, 17, 18 years ago. And they want to talk about how much Beautiful Mind meant to them in terms of their understanding of the, of, um, of, of the, of the stigmatization of mental illness uh, and, um, and the misunderstanding of mental illness. Uh, in our country and around the world. And 
to to be able to make you know an engrossing emotional entertainment to be able to win awards its box office was wonderful and yet have this other this 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 this, this uh, aspect of the movie that services that really really satisfying incredibly satisfying um, but again I think I think the the desire to make such a film was born in a very organic way from a very honest place of curiosity and insight. And obviously the film won a number of awards, but I, I want to take you to a, a lighter moment when uh, Brian uh, thought his name was being called at the Academy Awards <laughs> when in fact it was that of Braveheart. Uh, Over, uh, yeah, well. What do you remember Apollo, from that? Well, Apollo 13 was pretty, you know, pretty uh, well understood to be the front runner for best picture that year. And uh, we were we were sitting there next to Jim Lovell. Um, and, and, and ironically, Brian was producing and I was directing a, a movie called Ransom starring Mel Gibson that same during that same award season. So there was a lot of kind of playful banter back and forth about, you know, which one was which one was going to win. And uh, so he heard the B and he did start to get up. I was right next to him and uh, and it was Braveheart and he just slumped. <laughs> we were both just stunned. And um, and and Jim Lovell did reach over and say, don't worry, I never made it to the moon either. Uh, and uh, so when Brian tells that story, it's, he tells it at, with total accuracy. Now, a few years later, whatever it was, seven years later, um, A Beautiful Mind is nominated for Best Picture. Um, uh, I'm nominated for Best Director. Uh, and uh, uh, and I, I, I saw Mel Gibson at a party a couple of nights before, and he said, I'm going to give you an Academy Award in a couple of nights. I said, how do you know that? He said, oh, I know it. And he said it with a little glint in his eye, like, you know, it doesn't matter what's on the paper, pal. Uh, <laughs> you're getting the award. Well, he did He did uh, uh, call out my name. I went up there, gave my speech, and on the way out, I said, okay, show me the card. And he <laughs> laughed and showed me, and it was my name, thank God. So just a few minutes later, it was best picture. And uh, I was still in the wings. Now it's Tom Hanks. Our great friend, Tom Hanks, is announcing uh, the winner for Best Picture, and it's us. And uh, so we go up, and, and I think Brian did most of the talking on that one because I I just given my speech uh, as the director, but I got an award as well. And we turned around, we walked off stage. It was just one of these great moments. And we, we sat down because they said, wait here, and then we're going to take you to the press room to do interviews. So we're sitting here on a bench just off stage. And, and my stomach suddenly started to hurt so bad. It was just burning. And I said, oh, my God, my, I thought I was fine, you know, but my, my, my stomach is killing me. And he said, do you want a Tums? <laughs> and I said, yeah. He reached in, pulled out a Tums. Here we are, two tuxedos, Oscars, and he's handing me a Tums. And it was sort of our version of the old Lifesaver commercial, you know, two pals sitting here um, sucking on some Tums. Uh, but that was a, a, you know, that was a great, great, uh, great night. 
a couple sports movies I wanted to mention and just get what comes to mind. Um, we had actually, uh, before um, Nicky Lauda passed, we spent a couple days with him in Austria and Belgium oh. taping an episode of the show, which was an amazing experience. But uh, just the movie Rush and what comes to mind on your end. Uh, well, Rush was, a, a uh, first and foremost, an amazing spec script written by Peter Morgan. Um, and uh, uh, there were other directors who were going to do it, and then that sort of fell apart. And it literally came to me in one of these sort of, um, you know, you have to decide quickly. By then we were friends because we had done Frost Nixon together. Um, and, uh, um, you know, at, at that point, uh, Brian, imagine was we were very busy doing a couple of different things, uh, and uh, uh, and I remember Brian was just very supportive of it because he could see that passion that I had for it. And I'm not sure how much he even really focused on it, but for him, it was just uh, it was just sort of uh, undeniable. Then when we cut it together, Brian's not a motorsports fan, by the way, ne neither am I. But I learned a lot about it while making the movie, just like I didn't know how to go to the moon before we did Apollo 13, and. Uh, the first cut Brian saw, it, he, you know, he liked parts, but he didn't love it. And he, he said it in the kindest way because he didn't really know what to suggest. And he hadn't, and, uh, and which was, you know, n never what you want to hear from your partner, but it was what it was. Um, and then later when the movie was finished and he saw it, he said, man, the work you did to continue and carry on, I didn't get it at first. And now, you know, it's it's one of my favorites that you've uh, that you've ever done. And so we're just always able to have this very open, honest conversation that's, that also includes vulnerability. Uh, and uh, uh, and and I think, uh, um, you know, I think I think th those are those are really kind of the foundations uh, under which the, the partnership has has uh, has flourished that and success, because we we've had lots and lots and lots of disappointments but plenty of of plenty of plenty of projects that that just proved that um that um that the partnership works company works and that uh and that our efforts are um you know are worthy we're, we're in the right business together how about cinderella man in the screening at the white house uh, I didn't get to go to the screening oh, you didn't. Okay. at the White House of that one. I missed that one. Uh, but we had, a, we had a White House screening for Apollo 13. It was amazing because it happened to be Chelsea Clinton's 16th birthday, I believe. And uh, her friends came and whole, the entire cast was there. And it was, uh, it was really one of those uh, in, in, incredible, uh, incredible moments as well. A great evening. Um, Bill Clinton in his just in his absolute prime uh hosting us uh and uh you know giving us the, a little insight into you know wh what it was like to to be two years into your the presidency and you know coming off of being the governor of arkansas and uh, it was a it, it was a, a a really great really great highlight apollo 13 was an interesting circumstance when that when that project came to our attention, it was because one of our executives at the time, Michael Bostick's father, had been uh, uh, on one of the air track, one of the uh, mission controllers, uh, and uh, uh, on the on on that on that flight, 
and knew about the story, knew Jim Lovell was going to was was uh, taking out a book proposal, and we got it. But even with that inside information, every studio wanted this project. Every studio wanted it, and we got into this bidding war. And I was so surprised, Brian really, really wanted it. And I said, Brian, do you care about space? He said, No, no, I don't. I don't. But I just this project. It's about you know, it's about it's a rescue, it's a survival story. It's it just it's so elemental. It's it's a thriller. We we just talked about it as a thriller, and without thinking about casting at all at that point, uh, he was completely behind it, and it surprised the hell out of me. I would not have thought that a movie that was set, you know, twenty five years in the past. Um, all guys trying to make rockets get to the moon and, you know, and, and, and rescue these guys was something that he was going to feel so committed to. But we were, you know, we were on the phone at like midnight, one in the morning. It was one of those kind of back and forth, you know, should we bid for this or not? Should we go a, a little further? Should we push the studio? And, um, and, and Brian, you know, he, he won the project and it wound up being you know, one of one of the, my great creative experiences. I thought, um, you know, Brian did another good job of producing on Frost Nixon, because that was a that was a project that was a, a sort of a bidding war um, situation, and um, and uh, he didn't have a chance to see it. I did. I went to London with Cheryl, and immediately was willing to commit to the movie. And uh, again, he'd read it. He'd read the play, but he just he just backed it. And uh, I asked him some years later, you know, what, what why did why did he throw his shoulder behind that project? And he said, I knew it was good for you, and I had no idea it would it would turn uh, what kind of movie it would turn out to be. But I just felt like it was it was a smart move for you. But he also completely backed the idea of staying with the the cast of the of the of the play, um, Michael Sheen and particularly Franklin Jella. And, uh, you know, and, and it, it might not have been the most commercial decision, but the picture got nominated, Frank got nominated, I got nominated, uh, and, uh, and it's, a, you know, it's, it's something we're both really proud of. Tell about your Andy Warhol painting that could have been. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, yeah, oh man. Well, um, I had met Andy Warhol just, just very fleetingly at a couple of, you know, parties. Once at at at, at lunch at the at the uh, um, Beverly Hills Hotel, um, and he was always going around with his little Kodak Instamatic and taking pictures and things like that. And you know, I thought he was just kind of an odd guy. <laughs> I recognized that he was a you know a, a real innovator, um, you know, if not a genius. Um, and uh, uh, but but Brian came to me at some point and he says, you know, I met Andy Warhol, I was talking to him. I got to go to the studio, I got to hang around with him. And I said, wow, that's great, fantastic. He said, he, he wants to do two paintings of you. Really? At this point I wore a mustache because I had left Happy Days and I was, I'd become a director. I was doing Night Shift, I was doing Splash, but I wanted to look older, I wanted to look a little more mature. So I, you know, uh, my, uh, uh, <laughs> My one option was to grow a mustache, so that's what I did. He said he wants to he wants to take a picture 
of you with your mustache and then paint that. And then he wants to, wants you to shave it. And he wants to do another one where you're clean shaven and you look more like Richie Cunningham or, or Opie. But, and he wants to take pictures of him shaving your mustache. So you sort of have proof that, uh, you know, that you shaved it right there, in, you know, in his studio. I went, that sounds weird. I am not doing that. Forget it. He said, are you sure? I think you can keep the pictures. I think he'll give you, like, he'll make prints like he did Marilyn and those things, but I think you get to keep them. I don't know. I'm not going to, I respect Andy Warhol, but I'm not going to let him shave my mustache off for his amusement and for a couple of pictures. No. And so, okay. All right. He, Brian respected that. Um, then we, we, we had, um, a, ter a movie that really, really so disappointing. We went to see it and it, it was a, it was a, it was just a flop. And I don't even want to say which movie it was. Um, but it, it, it was so hurtful to us that this movie had been so disappointing, even though we really liked it, that we sat around at Brian's house and started sort of drinking wine or margaritas or something just to ease the pain. And then I had to go up to um, San Francisco. So I was now kind of like a little woozy and I had to go get on the plane and take a late flight um, to San Francisco. And I'm flying up to San Francisco. And for some reason, I went in the bathroom and I looked at my mustache and I didn't like it anymore. And I literally, I had an electric razor in my, in my carry on stuff. I went in and in the bathroom there in the plane, I shaved off my mustache. And Brian saw me when I got back, he said, what'd you do? I said, oh, it's stupid. I don't know. I just was it's still, still a little tipsy, you know, and I, I just decided I didn't want the mustache anymore. You decided you didn't want the mustache and you could have had two Andy Warhol pictures. Yeah, that's dumb. And it was like, he's, he was so upset about it. Maybe he could have had two Andy Warhol pictures too. Who knows? But, uh, but at the end of the day, I wish I had them. Brian was right. Brian is uh, known for bringing framed photos of himself yes. into right. people's homes. Uh, any firsthand experiences you've had yeah, with that? I know. He's never, uh, he's never dropped one off at my house. Uh, I, I, think, uh, I, I, think it's, uh, I think that's kind of his way of making, a, you know, trying to make a, almost the first impression or a lasting first impression when he, when he, uh, when he goes somewhere. Uh, I don't know where in the world he picked up on that, but I, I think he's pretty much stayed with it. I haven't heard about that one too much in recent years, but uh, I'm sure Bob, he must have left one at Bob Iger's house. He has. I have a feeling he did. Yeah, any, anybody's homes you know of him uh, leaving them at? Oh God, I'm trying to think, because uh, the answer is yes, I've seen it over and over again. Um, um, oh God, uh, homes, homes where he left pictures, I think, I think I had to talk him out of leaving a picture at George Lucas's house. Uh, maybe he did anyway. I don't know. Why did you try and, and I, talk him out of it? Well, uh, I know George very well, and uh, he's uh, uh, pr probably not the guy, the kind of guy who's going to get a huge kick out of somebody he doesn't know very well, <laughs> uh, leaving leaving a, a you know a little photo. I think most people that Brian does it for just think it's the greatest, um, uh, and. Um, 
I'm, I'm, uh, uh, seem to recall him leaving a photo of himself uh, at Graydon Carter's office, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, and I've, I've seen him, I've seen him drop. Oh, I, maybe, maybe Barry Diller's house, but I, I'm, I'm not sure. I think I usually try to block out the memory. <laughs> of uh, Brian dropping a photo on somebody's desk. And by the way, um, lastly, what led me to connecting with Brian was our taping with Tom Hanks. And uh, Tom told me about Brian running over him surfing and all the stitches that gave Tom. Uh, anything on that front that you're aware of? Uh, no, I just, I, I remember Brian being very, very upset because Tom's a friend uh, and uh, that this crazy this crazy thing uh, happened, but but Tom let him off the hook. Tom let him off the hook. So uh, very uh, very gracious as as he as he is. But yeah, Brian was mortified by that. I'll tell you another time Brian was mortified. You were talking about sort of uh, uh, the building blocks of our partnership. We were trying to set up night shift, and we weren't having a lot of luck with the casting. I, I think uh, I was unproven as a comedy director coming off of, you know, happy days. And so it wasn't probably the hippest sounding guy, uh, you know, on the planet. The script was undeniably funny. Um, so it was getting interest, but we weren't hearing yeses. And we were told that we could get a green light if Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi would star in the movie. Dan Aykroyd in the part that Henry ultimately played, uh, John Belushi in the role that Michael Keaton played. So we were in our, we shared, it wasn't really an office, it was just a room with a couple of desks. We didn't have assistants, but we were sharing this space in, at, at uh, Burbank Studios uh, at, with the Lad Company. And um, Brian suddenly heard that they were doing reshoots on the lot of a movie that Aykroyd and Belushi were starting together called Neighbors. And Brian said, you gotta, you gotta go over there and give John the script. He's had a script, he, Aykroyd read it, Aykroyd likes it, but he can't get John to read it. You've gotta go over with another script and try to get, Ron, get John to read it. And I said, oh, I don't know, Brian, that's a little uncomfortable. And he says, no, no, but you're Ron Howard. You can walk on the stage, it's okay, give it a try. So I did, I took a script. I, I walked over there, snuck on the stage. People let me. Finally, I saw, I saw John. I saw Dan. They laughed. They, they took me into their trailer. They were there was music playing. There were there were like, you know, rock and roll stars hanging around. It was buoyant, and they were just in between shots. But it was long enough that I got to, we got to talk. We got to tell stories. Um, it turned out he was a big Andy Griffith Show fan, which was kind of crazy. I mean, seriously wanted to talk about the Andy Griffith Show. And uh, uh, and I finally, I said, hey, I know you haven't had a chance to read that script. Uh, you know, uh, Dan's read it. Uh, you know, I, you like it, Dan? He's, Dan said, yes, I, 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 I have to say I really like it. Well, John, would you take a look at it? I, I'd, uh, you know, I know we, I saw you in New York, but, but what do you think? He said, sure, sure. I don't think he ever did read it, but I left Mission Accomplished. Now I'm walking back. It's been quite a while. I was there for about an hour. I thought, oh man, this has been a tough hour for Brian. And he's such a, at this point, you know, we hadn't shot anything yet. I just knew him well enough to know he was an anxious, high-strung, intense guy. And, 
And, and I thought, ah, I don't do this a lot, but I'm going to play a practical joke. So I opened the door and Brian said, how'd it go? And I said, not good. What? What happened? Brian says, I said, I had to hit him. Brian said, what? I said, I, I, I had to, Brian, look, he's holding coffee. He's got like a hot coffee in his hand. And I'm just trying to hand him the script and kind of joking around and saying, come on, John, why don't you read it? And he's kind of saying, no. And then finally he sort of says, okay, and starts to reach for the script and throws hot coffee on me. Now, what the <laughs> hell am I supposed to do now? I took a swing at him. Well, did you, oh my God, did you hit him? I said, not bad, but I hit him. Yeah, hell yes, I hit him. And he said, oh my God. And he starts holding his head, holding his head. <laughs> I think he's gonna be really upset at it. And he looks up at me and he says, Ron, I'm so sorry I put you in that position. And I thought, oh my God. I, I just, I, I said, no, okay, time out. Did not happen. Thanks for saying that, but it was all went well. So, you know, I recognize it with all the ambition, all the fire in the belly. Uh, he did not want me to, he didn't like the idea that he, he, he would put me in a situation, you know, as intense and challenging as that. So, um, there, there you get a little, a little insight. Thanks for listening to my chat with Ron Howard to see clips of our interview. Plus Brian Grazer's own take on many of these stories. Go to youtube.com slash Graham Bensinger. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Graham Bensinger. And you can visit GrahamBensinger.com for TV times in your area. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen. This has been the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast.